today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Open our hearts, change us from within by the open word. Give us ears to hear your truth and eyes to see the needs around us as we draw. God ever given you like that, that uh, gentle tap on the shoulder to say, hey, the direction you're going or what you're doing or where, you, where you're processing, that's not right. And if you keep going that way, it's going to be a two by four, not a gentle tap. I love it. I, I, I got to admit to you, I love it that God does that. He doesn't come to us, first of all, with the two by four. Amen. He's gentle, he's, he's gracious. The Holy Spirit kind of nudging and prodding us to say, hey, where you're going, what you're doing, what you're thinking, how you're acting, those responses, whatever it might be, that's wrong. I'm sure we've all felt it at some point in our lives, that little nudge that tells us what we are doing is not pleasing to the Lord. Maybe you're in a moment of your life where it's easy to ignore that nudge, but remember, that nudge is a hint from God, a hint that you need to make a change. Don't ignore it. He's trying to help you get back on track with your faith and your relationship with Him. It's important that you listen to these nudges and make an effort to obey His Word while there's still time to do so. Pastor David shows us why today. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Obadiah chapter 21 and Joel chapter 1 as he continues his message, Judgment and Hope. First of all, you guys stood by. You let the enemy go through your land and attack your brother. You didn't help him at all. Secondly, the people of Edom, actually, they they got pretty excited. They were happy about the fact that the enemy was coming in against Israel. Look there in verse 12. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother in the day of his captivity nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of distress. So you can, you can just imagine. I mean, I can imagine, again, going, growing up with my brothers, I, man, how, how weird that would be if somebody was over here beating up on me and my brothers over here across the street said, right on, man, get him, get him, get him. Well, that's what was going on with Edom. They're saying, yeah, give it to him, give it to him. As a matter of fact, you can go through my backyard to get to his yard. And that's what the whole story was. Thirdly, we find then not only were they, did they allow them to go through, they stood by, did nothing. Not only did they rejoice in the fact, but they actually entered into the attack and they stole from the people of Israel while they were being under attack. Look at verse 13. You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. It's just getting worse and worse. So now, while you're sitting there fighting, somebody comes up and starts picking your pocket. And it's your own brother. 
you know, while, while somebody's beating up on you, he's going into your room and stealing all your good stuff. So this is the idea, this is what's going on, and God's bringing judgment. But it doesn't end there. Fourthly, we find that they actually joined in really in the fight, attacking the people of Israel as they were under attack from these other forces, the Philistines and and others. They started running and they tried to run through the land of Edom, trying to escape any way that they can. Look at verse 14. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped nor should you have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. What the leaders and and, and what the people of Edom did was wrong in, in every sense of the word. Even if I'm mad at my brother, I'm not gonna rejoice that somebody else has beaten him up. Even if I'm really upset at my brother, if he's under you know, an attack over here, I'm not gonna walk up behind him and pick his pocket or get into his room and steal his stuff. No, nor am I gonna jump with somebody else. That's what God is saying. You guys were related, you're brothers, and you did not help them. So from the time that Moses brought the children of Israel through the wilderness until this time here, Edom has been so against Israel, even though Jacob and Esau, if you remember the story that we find in Genesis, Jacob and Esau, they made up. I mean, they they had conflict before, but when Jacob started coming back, Esau went out to meet him and they blessed each other and they did well. But again, the people beyond that is what we see. So with all of this, now God is gonna send punishment on Edom. Look at verse 15. For the day of the Lord upon all the nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow, and they shall be as though they had never been. In other words, we're gonna wipe you out. Verse 18, the house of Jacob shall be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame, but the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them, and no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. As a matter of fact, after about 72 AD, we never hear of any other Edomites at all. They're, they're gone. History has, has taken them away as though they had never been. God fulfilled his promise to them as a judgment against them. Now again, uncertain of the exact dating, but many believe that it was around the same time of Obadiah when the prophet Joel came in on the scene. Uh, his, his message was direct right to the southern kingdom, to Judah. So go to your left a couple of blocks, a couple of books over to the book of Joel. Now it's another short message. It's only uh, three chapters long, but it's power packed. It's a story of uh, locust plagues and God's deliverance. We, we see again, God's hand working, not only bringing a, a time of judgment on his people, but then when they return, he's gonna bring deliverance. And isn't that the story really of, of redemption for us all? In our rebellion against God, there's judgment on us. The word says that we're we're condemned already uh, outside of Christ. We are condemned already. 
But God then offers to us the sacrifice of Jesus that once we, again, repent and turn from our sin and turn back to God, covered by the blood of Christ, we now have redemption, we now have reconciliation. Well, that's the story of Joel. That again, the people had rebelled against God. God brings, again, judgment to them. And yet he also says, when you come back to me, as you come back to me, man, I'll pour out my blessings upon you. Okay, so here we are. If as a country and, and as a people, you depend very heavily upon agriculture to sustain your economy. A locust invasion would be so devastating. Again, a major locust invasion like we read about here in the opening passages of Joel, a major one like that would be almost as devastating to you as if an army came in and did great damage to you. This is exactly what is going on in the southern kingdom as we began the book of Joel. Apparently, a massive invasion of locusts have come into the area. In the message, God uses this calamity to warn also of a greater judgment that will be coming. Look, this is just just a warm-up judgment. This is just a judgment to get your attention. But there is a greater judgment that will be coming, even worse than the locusts, if they did not repent. I ask you, and I don't need a show of hands. I don't even need a response back verbally from you. But has God ever given you like that, that uh, gentle tap on the shoulder to say, hey, the direction you're going or what you're doing or where, you, where you're processing, that's not right. And if you keep going that way, it's going to be a two by four, not a gentle tap. <laughs> I love it. I, I, I got to admit to you, I love it that God does that. He doesn't come to us, first of all, with the two by four. Amen. He's gentle, he's, he's gracious. The Holy Spirit kind of nudging and prodding us to say, hey, where you're going, what you're doing, what you're thinking, how you're acting, those responses, whatever it might be, that's wrong. You know it's wrong. But once we put our hands over the ears of our heart and continue going that way, God loves us enough to use a two by four once in a while, Amen. Maybe he only used a switch on you, but on me, he's used a two-by-four. I just needed a little bit more urging, okay? Listen to what he says here. In Joel chapter one, there are three chapters in Joel, so Joel chapter one, beginning in verse one. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Hear this, you elders, and give ear, all you inhabitants of the land. Has anything like this happened in your days? or even in the days of your fathers? Tell your children about it. Let your children tell their children and their children another generation. So in other words, man, let people know about it. Keep the message going. Don't let it stop here. This is an important life lesson that you need to pass on to generation to generation. Verse four, what the chewing locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust has left, the crawling locust has eaten. And what the crawling locust has left, the consuming locust has eaten. Awake, you drunkards, and weep, and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because of the new wine, for it has been cut off from your mouth. For a nation has come up against my land, strong and without number. His teeth are the teeth of a lion, and he has the fangs of a fierce lion." 
He has laid waste my vine and ruined my fig tree. He has stripped it bare and thrown it away. Its branches are made white. Man, an agricultural calamity like that, the impact to the economy would be absolutely devastating. There is hardly any way to recover very fast from a situation like that because, again, it was was so all-inclusive of all of the resources that Judah had, the southern kingdom. Now, some have tried to differentiate between the types of locusts. Well, this, this one locust, the, uh, the flying locust, that's one kind, the swarming locusts. And, and that may be, but I think you're missing the point here. I think the point is, man, they have, they, they've, they've just not left anything. It was totally devastating. It's not like they just came and touched down and kept on their journey. No, they stayed and they stayed and they stayed. They ate everything, leaving nothing at all. Two of the major commercial and domestic crops, the the grape and the fig, it says here they've been totally destroyed by this invasion of locusts. But but not only those two. We actually find down in verses 10, uh, 11, and 12 that the grain, the the olive oil, the pomegranate, the apple, and all the other fruit-bearing trees, they were also destroyed. And so we see in this destruction... I see three different losses here. First of all, we have an emotional loss. Man, it impacted them emotionally. Look what it says in verse eight. It says, lament like a virgin girded with sackcloth for the husband of her youth. In other words, like a woman who is engaged, but before they even came to consummate the marriage, the, the husband died or was, was gone. Lament like a virgin girded in sackcloth for the husband of her youth. Secondly, there's definitely, when when that kind of a thing happens, it is a spiritual impact too, and we see that. Look at verse nine. The grain offerings and the drink offerings, part of their worship, all of those have been cut off from the house of the Lord. And the priests mourn, those who minister to the Lord. They don't have the wine, they don't have the oil to do, again, all the ceremonies and the rituals of, uh, again, their worship. And then, of course, it's a financial loss, a financial loss for the whole country. Look what it says, verse 10. The field is wasted and the land mourns, for the grain is ruined, the new wine is dried up, and the oil fails. Verse 11. Be ashamed, you farmers. Wail, you vine dressers, for the wheat and the barley, because the harvest of the field is perished. The vine is dried up, the fig tree is withered, the pomegranate tree, the palm tree also, the apple tree. All the trees of the field are withered. Sounds like my garden this year. But he says, surely joy has withered away from the sons of men. This is nationwide. The whole area has just been absolutely devastated. Why? You could try and, well, because of the locust invasion, maybe, you know, the, the weather uh, systems during that year were really bad and it did this and this. Now, just wipe all that out. Let's get back to the basics. God brought judgment on the southern kingdom. And because God's hand of protection was pulled away from them, this devastation came in. You know what? I know a nation just like that. 
that I feel that God's hand is being pulled away from us and we are being devastated with calamities and catastrophes one after another after another after another. In one week from now, a group of us going down to Corpus Christi to assist down there because they are still trying to put pieces back together after Hurricane Harvey. And then we have all these other calamities, the fires over in the the north, the Pacific Northwest and in California, just all of these things. And then, of course, you know, the, the, the mass shootings and the terror that's going on in our nation. Beloved, I, I believe that because of the sin of our nation, God's hand is just being pulled away. You, wanna, you, you think you're strong enough to live for yourself? You think you have the wisdom to chart your own course and go your own way? You don't want God in, in, in your lives? Then fine, God pulls back. And then suddenly we begin facing the calamity and the reality of life that's all around us. But you know what I found out? It's a loving God that chastises or disciplines his children. Why is God doing that to our nation? I believe because he loves our nation. I believe because he formed, he called us together as a nation. And he does want us to turn back to him. And he's simply trying to get our attention. Just as for Joel, just as the the word to the nation there was, hey, this is a bad calamity. But if you don't pay attention, a worse is going to happen. I believe that we as a nation, a much worse calamity is waiting just off stage. And if we as a nation don't wake up, I believe that if we don't see it, our children or our grandchildren will definitely see it. There was actually a call for a national prayer meeting. Verse 14, the Lord says, consecrate a fast. Call a sacred assembly together. Gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land into the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand and it shall come as destruction from the Almighty. The day of the Lord or that day, that's a phrase that you see all throughout the book of Joel. The day of the Lord or that day. Because again, God has appointed, God has a time schedule. God has, in the great knowledge that he has of, of all things, he has a day, he has a line. He has, he has that line, I believe, that's drawn in the sand. And he says, you know what? You go to that point and that's it. Or there is a particular time that says, if you don't turn back by that time, that's going to be it. We know in the great end of things, there is that great day. But what about the judgment? How long can you, let me ask you, how long can you deny the direction and the call and the purpose of God in your life before God brings judgment on you? You know, the unfortunate reality is, is most believers say, well, at least one more time, at least one more time, the nation of Israel lived their life with that kind of an attitude. We could, as, as long as we go through the motions, as long as we go through the rituals, well, God now did away with the rituals because he did away with the wine and the oil. They, they couldn't even do that. There's no doubt that the calamity that's going on here was meant to direct them to the Lord, to get their attention. If it didn't get their attention, 
then we know that the Lord was going to bring an even greater wake-up call to them. He gives them a a warning signal, an an alarm. Look what he says in chapter 2, beginning in chapter 2, the very first verse. He says, blow the trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, for it is at hand. So he says, man, judgment is right here. Judgment is right here. That's the second time this phrase is used. Verse two, a a day of darkness and and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness like the morning clouds spread over the mountains. A people come great and strong, the like of whom has never been, nor will there be any such after them, even for many successive generations. Now there is a clue right here in what Joel is saying. Just like in many prophetic messages, There was going to be a fulfillment of these words within a close range in in the life of Judah. We know the Babylonians, you know, would come and they would take them captive. But even before the Babylonians came, they, they, they faced battles from others. God kept trying to get their attention until finally the Babylonians took them into exile. And so that's a fulfillment of Joel. But you know what? There there was a greater fulfillment even beyond the Babylonians. You you remember in 72 AD when the Romans uh, just totally wiped out all of Israel, destroyed the temple, destroyed the land, scattered the people all over the world. A greater fulfillment even than the one, again, of the Babylonian captivity. But you know what? There's going to be even greater fulfillment, isn't there? And it's in that last day. When God says, okay, the end of all things is now at hand. The army that Joel describes here is is, is pretty big. He says, this is an army of people that are coming great and strong like they've never been, nor will there be any such after them, even for many generations. But what about many, many generations? He he doesn't say there'll never, ever be one like them. Look at what he says here. A, A fire devours before them. And behind them a flame burns. The land is like the Garden of Eden before them, but behind them it's a desolate wilderness. Surely nothing shall escape them. They run like mighty men. They climb the wall like men of war. Everyone marches in formation. They do not break rank. They they do not push one another. Everyone marches in his own column. Though they lunge between the weapons, they are not cut down. They run to and fro in the city. They run on the wall. They climb into the houses. They enter into the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon grow dark and the stars diminish their brightness. Wow, that's an intense army. Now, I've seen some various movies in my days of these massive you know, armies of the Middle East that are coming in. I don't believe that you know, even the theatrically or cinematically, they can really bring to point what's happening here. I mean, it's, it's a great picture of the Babylonians because the Babylonians would come just like that in these great rows of, of forces, strong and, and just vicious and vile as they came in. And then we look at the Romans there in uh, 72 AD and, and they came in marching, man, everybody in form and fashion. The Romans were just a great and powerful force. And I can, I can see this as being a fulfillment of this also. But I believe also perhaps in those last days, in the very last days, We're going to see some major armies that are coming in 
just like that. That's all we have time to share today, but we're so glad you've joined us. Isn't the Bible a fascinating book to read? There's incredible historical events, crazy scenarios, and a variety of people to keep you intrigued along the way. We hope you'll continue to join us here on The Open Word as Pastor David takes you through the Bible. If what you heard today sparked your interest and you'd like to know more about faith and even who God really is, please contact us. We'd love to talk more with you and share some even more incredible news about your future and the one who can change it, Jesus. Give us a call at 520-836-9676. Again, that's 520-836-9676. If social media is a part of your life, you can connect with us there too. Come like our Facebook page and keep up to date with what's happening at The Open Word and Calvary Chapel Casa Grande. You'll find a link to our website, theopenword.com. Would you like to hear more messages from this series? Here's Pastor David to tell you how. Thanks, Chris. You know, any time you spend in God's Word is valuable. And I'd like to encourage you to do it as often as possible. I know busy schedules can make that hard, but being able to listen to it could just change all that. All of the messages I've shared from the Bible here on The Open Word, they're available to you to listen to online at theopenword.com. Feel free to download them and even share them with anyone you think would benefit. That website again is theopenword.com. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word. Make us more and more.